Career Transitions. On November 20, 1996, SDCF explored the subject of career transitions. Participants in this discussion, led by David Diamond, then Executive Director of SDCF, include Seth Barish, Roger Danforth, Kathleen Marshall, Richard Sabellico, and Marlies Yearby. Hello, I'm Director Pam Berlin, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. I'm David Diamond, Executive Director of Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation. One or two of you I don't know already. And my name is Roger Danforth, and I'm the Artistic Director of the Drama League Directors Project, and jointly with the SDC Foundation, we produce this series of seminars and roundtables. Really happy this afternoon to be uh, talking about career transitions, and uh, we have on our panel Marla Sierby and uh, Kathleen Marshall, Richard Spelko, and Seth Barish. You have their bios in front of you, so we're not going to spend too much time. Yes, you can hear. Too well, too. Okay. Everybody in the panel is going to have to speak up. Okay, you're going to project as you tell your actors <laughs> to the uh, to the end of the room. Okay. Um, Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank our panelists for joining us today. Um, this seminar came out of uh, <coughs> a series of uh, cards we had people write about topics that they might like us to deal with. And one thing that came up several times was, how do you help advance a career that may feel like it's tabloid or stalled? And so um, I'm going to ask the panelists today to... Uh, be kind enough to tell us about how they built a career, and then perhaps we'll get into a talk facing those tough issues about what you do when you feel that you've reached an impasse and you're looking for how to change your advance um, First of all, I'd like to uh, say that all of you within the past year have had shows running that have obviously increased your visibility a great deal in the city. We see your names on marquees and placards around town. I'd like, if you would be so kind, to Tell us a little bit about how you uh, perhaps began the directing of a choreography career and how you all come to the point we find you at today. In 500 words or less. We keep it pretty uh, informal, so uh, we'll let them speak in initially, and then as we go through, if you want to ask questions, feel free. Uh, who wants to start? Should start with me. <laughs> okay. Um, well, actually, to this world, I'm most known for Rent. I choreographed Rent. Um, I started uh, choreographing very young and sort of denied that I wanted to do this thing because um, somewhere in my head I was told, you know, you need to make money and you need to support yourself. And so I went to college thinking I was going to go into biological sciences. <laughs> and did that for about a year and then wound up taking a dance class, just saying to myself it was just for exercise. 
and then wound up having all dance classes with biological <coughs> science major for the next two years. Um, and then finally realized, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And consequently, what I did was I just simply dug my hands into anything I could get my hands on um, that was of interest to me. Um, so that I was in school choreographing for a theater, choreographing um, on a company, a professional company that I, that I wound up dancing with. Uh, for about five years. And then finally I left school and decided that I needed to come to New York because I was in the San Jose area at San Jose State University and discovered in that particular area it was a uh, great limitation in terms of um, possibilities and growth. So I left to New York because I heard New York was the place that I had to go and had to be. And so actually I came to New York to work in the contemporary modern um, dancing and slowly but surely found myself working with writers and working with... Um, uh, directors, and then slowly but surely finding that my, my choreographic voice started uh, using um, language on stage, spoken word on stage, and the next thing I know I found myself sort of being a choreographer director or a choreographer and director in, in the same voice. And then along then, I, I danced with a company for about four years out here called Urban Bushwomen. Um, and then wound up leaving them and started my own company in 1989 or somewhere around there. And again, because I kept working with writers in collaboration with my own work, kept getting pulled into the theater scene, but mostly what was considered the um, uh, avant-garde or performance uh, art scene or uh, non-traditional theater works. And so my first musical was at Mystery of Love at um, American Music Musical Music Theater Festival out in um, Philadelphia, which I created, was the first time for me that I became clear that my dance work for theater was about gesture, um, and so I developed this whole way of working with dance in, in theater as gesture, and through that, um, just continued to work in that vein and became really known for the work that I do with my company and, and for that kind of work, and Michael Greif and Jonathan Larson heard about me. Um, from a place called Dance Theater Workshop and called me and asked me if I wanted to work with them. Um, and again, I realized that the project for me was the more commercial project than I had ever ventured in, even though it was in a um, non-for-profit theater, New York Theater Workshop, um, who was committed to doing new works. And so they asked to see a tape. And that was a funny thing for me as a choreographer because as a choreographer, the only tape you have are the works that you do yourself on your company or dancers, you don't get to take theater works because of equity rules and things. So I sent them my company's tape thinking, ha, 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 they're not going to get this and I won't be getting this job and I really wasn't <laughs> going to worry about it. And um, sure enough, they called me and were very excited by what they saw. And um, so I then went to meet with them and decided that I would do rent and the rest is all in the newspapers. <laughs> 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 um, I started off like a lot of choreographers as a performer and as a dancer in musical theater and uh, but even when I was performing I was usually uh, a dance captain even though I was doing stock and things like that when I was 18 or 19 because I think a performer has a very sort of tunnel vision and I was sort of always interested in what's happening to the left and right as a matter of fact one of the directors that Susan Schulman, who gave me my equity card when I was 18, and now I'm working with as a choreographer, she said, you know, Kathleen was always going, are we all supposed to be doing this stuff? So, <laughs> um, so I was sort of always more aware of the, of the bigger picture. And from working as a dance captain, I also then started to work as an assistant to both directors and choreographers. 
And um, one of the choreographers that I started to assist was my brother, mm -hmm. uh, Rob Marshall. Uh, and so that's really how I never sort of made a conscious decision to sort of stop performing. What happened is that Rob would call up and he had projects going on and say, hey, do you want to work on this project? And they always were very interested, you know, hey, do you want to come work on Kiss the Spider Woman with, up in Canada with Hal Prince and G. Rivera? Sure. <laughs> you know? I'd rather do that than, uh, you know, go through auditions, which is another whole thing. So anyway, it's that, that sort, of, sort of snowballed and through the... Uh, people that I met as, a, um, as an assistant choreographer, I started to get to work with writers and with directors and with designers. And uh, eventually the point that I was recommended, the show that I did in New York last season, Swing on the Star, the way that happened was the director, Michael Leeds, uh, is good friends with John Kander. And when he was starting to put this together, and at that point it was just a regional theater production at the George Street Playhouse in New Jersey. And he was looking for a choreographer, and he asked John Kander, and since I had been the assistant choreographer at Spider-Woman, John Kander recommended me, and I went in and had a couple meetings with Michael, and we talked about the show, and he took a chance on me. And eventually that production snowballed into another production, into another production, eventually we, we came to Broadway last year. So, uh, and so most of, I, I've sort of fell into a lot of these things. Um, and actually right now I'm sort of going through a, another career transition, because just a couple months ago, uh, I became the artistic director of the Encore series at City Center, where I, again, I started choreographed a couple of shows from there, and so had my foot in the door that way. And when Walter Bobby, um, when he knew that Chicago was going to be moving to Broadway from City Center, he decided to really concentrate on his directing career, which I think you can all say now was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, he's just you know really hot right now, which is great for him. So he realized he couldn't do encores and pursue his directing um, as fully as he wanted to. So he decided to step down last summer. And um, I was lucky enough to be chosen to replace him. So now this is a sort of another side of the of the coin for me um, from going to you know performing and, and still choreographing and, and still working on, on shows as a choreographer, but having now this this other hat to wear. And I always think of you know when you're directing and choreographing and you know those those like artistic directors and producers stick their head in the door and you're like go away go away don't look yet we're not done we're not ready. <laughs> and now that's me you know going hey, how's it going in here and you know. So, um, so that's a, a, a new uh, thing for me. So I'm going through yet another transition. Um, I uh, I was an actor for 25 years. I was born and raised in Manhattan, and I thought I always wanted to be an actor. And then I got to a place doing uh, playing Rooster on Broadway and Annie, and I was in it for like a year and a half or two years, and I thought, <coughs> all right, now I want to do something else. So I thought I wanted to be an artistic director. So I took a job in a summer stock company, and, and I guess in the summer of 88, and realized I had absolutely no talent for being an artistic director, <laughs> that all I could do was spend money. <laughs> so I started uh, concentrating on directing. And, and honestly, it was, I was just very, very lucky. I did a production of Blood Brothers, the American premiere of Blood Brothers, in 1988, that same year. And um, a lot of people saw it because it had, had such word of mouth from England. And, of course, there was all the usual talk about it moving, and everyone and their mother was coming up to see it, and then Bill Kenwright decided he wanted to do it, and nobody else was going to do it. But as a result of that, I got, uh, you know, a lot of people saw it, and one who was a friend of mine, I'd known for years when I was an actor, I did the magic show with Joe Abaldo. And he now was a casting director, and I was a casting director at the American Jewish Theater. And in passing, and, and how things happen, how these things happen, his, I had cast his boyfriend as a replacement in Blood Brothers. He came to see Blood Brothers, and we sort of had lost touch with each other. 
he thought it was terrific. He said to me, do you have any other projects you want to do? And I said, well, I've been working on this revival. Of, I wanted to do a revival. I'd get it for you wholesale. And he said, I can't believe it. Stanley Breckner wants to do it at the American Jewish Theater. I should put you in touch with him. And he did, and I went in and had a meeting, uh, and Stanley is very peculiar, if any of you ever met him. <laughs> you know, I came out of my meeting, and I thought, I don't know what just happened. And I was really surprised by the space. I thought it would be bigger than that. And I thought, you know, I'm in there uh, bullshitting my way through this, this interview, thinking, how am I going to put that show on this stage? But he gave me the job, and I did. And I was very fortunate to cast it well, because I had a lot of friends who owed me favors as actors, so I had <laughs> come in and play the, the parts, and I was very lucky. And um, and then through American Jewish Theater, it just led, Stanley took a liking to me, and we are like the odd couple, he took a liking to me, and kept asking me to do shows there, and um, one work just leads to work, and uh, pretty much it's just, it's just uh, you know, knowing people. And uh, Stroman is an old friend of mine from my performing days, and she... And I had a big talk about two years ago, and she said, you need to really start now developing your own projects. And that's basically what I'm doing now. I'm looking for new projects, not revivals, not um, uh, things that people have been working on that I'm going to take over secondhand, but developing something from the, the ground up. I find that's what I really enjoy. I mean, I like working on revivals, particularly if I can put a new slant on it. But basically, it really is finding your project, because I really believe there is a lot of places to do work if the work is good. Um, people will, I find theaters will call the agency, and my agency, and ask if there's anything that I have on the burner that they could see. And just last year I did, not last year, I'm saying like two months ago, I did a, I'd gone to Joe Sullivan with an idea for a Frank Lesser review with a different twist on it, and she liked the idea and agreed to produce it, and we did a workshop of it. We rehearsed for like five weeks and did it for one performance at Carnegie Hall, Recital Hall, and got a lot of uh, feedback for that, a lot of good feedback, and uh, now we're going to go into another workshop. And it's basically that kind of stuff. Just And I have found that since 1991, I've met a lot of famous people, as in, you know, Betty Condon, Ailth Green, those kind of famous people. And I found that all you need to do is to go to them and say, look, I have an idea for something, or can I use your music? Or nine times out of ten, they will say yes. The only estate that I've found, I don't want to say difficult to work with, but I will say... Um, um, they they hold a very tight rein on their work is the Urban Berlin State. But other than that, everybody I've met is very open. So, you know, I feel like it's, it's new projects and you just find something you like and, and go ahead with it. Is there anybody else that's out there trying to get in? There are, you can, there's some seats along here and, and over here. So I would encourage on the radiator covers French people to come in. We have to leave early. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, Sarah, <coughs> you take that envelope from uh, Mary and uh, give it to me later. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, my background briefly is, is uh, I grew up in Northern California, and uh, I, I am and have always been kind of an actor, and, and uh, I, I moved here in, in 1983 and I couldn't get arrested um, and I, I did a lot of showcases and had gotten to a point where I had begun to get very ex extremely bitter and I can remember to the instant a moment when I was sitting in the White Horse Tavern on uh, uh, 8th Avenue and 11th Street and 
I was talking about a friend of mine who's an agent in the most vile manner, and, um, and I, I can even have a visual recollection of, of this thing. Going, all of a sudden, I, it just came to me how bitter I had become, and I knew that it was very important for me on a deeply personal level to make a shift, and that somehow led to, with along with my roommate at the time, us forming uh, our own theater company, um, which became the Barrow Group, and that was 10 years ago. And at first it was a collection of actors, and that led to a collection, of, and I was reluctantly a director, I was completely a director by default, nobody else wanted to do it, and I, I okay, I'll do it. And uh, we would work on maybe one or two projects a year and spend easily half the time. Uh, first year we just kind of goofed around and did artistic fun things, and then the next year we decided to produce and began doing fundraising things uh, for half to three quarters of the year and did a little bit of art. And um, <laughs> and it's been like that ever since. Um, the, um, uh, as, as I have continued through the years, I've ended up directing anywhere from two to three shows a year and uh, just doing things in-house and then in, in shows that we were generating ourselves. And as years went by, uh, there became opportunities for uh, collaboration and co-production with other companies. And uh, and as, like all of us, you know, our, as we go through the ranks, and, and I don't mean in terms of hierarchy, I just mean as we continue to do what we do, uh, that our friends are doing other things. And sooner or later, a friend was doing this and says, hey, how would you like to do this? And I got involved with shows in, uh, out in regional theater. Um, particularly in the case of Old Wicked Songs, that I was directing a, a production of Bo Jest at the Capitol Rep, and one of the actors in it uh, flipped me the script thinking I would be interested in it as an actor. And uh, I read it and I thought, gee, I'm a little old for the, the part. Um, the, there's a character in it who's 25, and, you know... <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I thought this is an interesting play and that led to an in-house reading in our company and then we found out at the same time there was a commercial producer who was interested in the project and we called up uh, and traced that and that hooked us up with Daryl Roth and uh, and then, you know, in, when, once you're co-producing with a commercial producer they're bringing to the table money and with money comes higher profile and that's uh, that was sort of the particular journey into that particular project, which is probably why I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, this might seem like an obvious question, but I don't necessarily think so, so I'll ask you. Does being, does a higher visibility translate into a higher demand? Uh, do more and different varied kinds of work offers come to you or are still the more things you do more self-generated? I think the most amazing thing to me is the first thing that I did that was sort of visible in New York City on my own was the Encore's production Call Me Madam a year and a half ago, which was just the second season of Encore's and it was the first show of the second season, so it was still kind of you know early and a lot of people didn't know what it was. And um, Charlie Reckley directed and um, you know asked me to, to, to choreograph and there was you know not a lot in it but there was like one big number and a couple little things and that was for four performances 
And I couldn't, I, I, you wouldn't believe how many people either saw the, the, one of those four performances or heard about it. And, there, and it, it was amazing. It was like, it, it, was, it was, you know, now people knew, you know, a lot of people knew who I was just from that. I mean, the difference between doing something in Manhattan as opposed to, you know, the best work of your life two hours away or, half, you know, in the middle of the country. I mean, the, the difference was doing something in New York. And so many people, even if they didn't see it, they oh, yeah, I heard about that. Oh, yeah, I heard that was good. And that amazed me. I really didn't, you know, because at that point I was working at Goodspeed and, you know, and regional, the George Street, I mean, regional theaters that are, you know, a couple of hours away, but the difference of doing something in New York. Yeah, it actually did, or at least people who wanted to, to meet me, which was sort of nice. Um, you know, people who maybe they don't have something right now, which is sort of another part of it, which, uh, you know, which is meeting with producers who even if they don't have a project for you right now, they want to come in and meet you face-to-face -face and see who you are and, and maybe see if they have something down the road to connect to, which is sort of another aspect of it that was moving. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it has in, 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 and in a strange way, actually. Um, because, again my world is not really the musical theater or the commercial um, world of theater. Um, I, I think there's been great interest but a lot of question marks as to what to do with her kind of thing. <laughs> and and then also the big question mark too of, of um, you know, again, that, you know, I've had calls from anywhere from commercial as in Burger King to, <laughs> you know, um, interest in a film. But, Again, you know, questions come up like, you know, can you send us your reel? Well, I don't have a reel. I have a company, um, and I have a tape that I'm very proud of my company work, but it does not speak to any of the work that I've done in theater, um, except for right now you can go see Rent. So, you know, there's sort of that strangeness and not knowing what to do with it and people interested in working, but there's sort of a, um, a machine that's at work and how do you get on that machine and... and um, trying to figure out if I want to get on the machine or not get on the machine, and if I do, then what do I have to do to get on it kind of thing. So there's interest in that way. And then yet in the other world, the not-for-profit world, which I do exist um, heavily in, you know, doors that before were saying, you know, oh, you know, um, this is great, I like your work, you're growing, and but I just don't know if I can sell it to, you know, thousands of people for, for this week run. And we are very interested in just keep us in touch. Or now it's sort of like, you know, let's go out to dinner. You're in town. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of this, this strange thing. And I'm just sort of in a, in a position now where I'm just sort of taking it all in and just trying to remain calm and think about what it is that I really want to do and knowing that part of, of my success with um, rent in the theater works that I worked in was the ability to do the work that I do with my company, which allows me to... Um, direct and choreograph and in my own way and constantly be creative as a result to have no, nobody to structure me but myself and so that I know that that work is very important and how do I hold on to both that and all the new opportunities and so I'm in a position of sort of just shuffling and trying to figure it out all, all of it and um, so that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> um. I uh, I find Kathleen Kathleen says too. A lot of people want to meet you. 
a lot of people call and ask to meet you and ask you about you know your what you've done and how you arrived at this particular point. I also find a lot of people assume that you're busy. A lot of people will say, you know, well, I was going to call you about that, but we assumed you had a job. <laughs> um, because I will, t- I mean, it's going to sound cheap, but I will take any job that I have offered if I think I'm going to learn something from it. Because I'll go work anywhere, and I take all of the stuff I do in the hinterland and bring it into New York and put it in one show like I did with Coconuts, which is every piece of shtick I've ever done <laughs> in the last ten years in it. Um, and uh, so I find that it's, it's, it's catch as catch can. You know, as a result of this Frank Lesser thing, I'm getting a lot of calls from other things. Uh, I was working on a project with Barry Manilow uh, last year, and as a result, and then it sort of fell by the wayside. We felt we weren't working well together, and then as a result of Coconuts, he called me back, offered me another job, and now they're talking to me about the job that they basically decided I wasn't right for anymore. <laughs> so, you know, and it, and it depends. Like, after I did the Yiddish Trojan Women, even though I personally didn't get great reviews, the play got incredible reviews. And a lot of people would call up and say, obviously the play got these reviews because of the work you did on it. And, uh, you know, sometimes critics, which who have a lot to do with your career and getting more work. You know, it's how high profile you are and what they say about you. And if they take you into their heart. And uh, people, you know, assume that you're given the play full grown and you just stand there and the actors walk around the stage and you say, well, that's a good idea. Well, that's good. Why didn't I think of that? And you just, I don't think a lot of times critics know what a director does mm-hmm. and a, or a choreographer. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I got probably some of the calls I respected the most after the Yiddish Trojan Women of people who had seen it and realized, you know, the work that I did. Uh, on it, and that I guess was the thing that that's gotten me the most. Oddly enough, coconuts hasn't, because of this thing where everybody assumes that you're working all the time. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's for me, the higher the profile, the less. It was when I was doing smaller stuff that I got more calls from people. Yeah. Um, I my experience is uh, somewhat different from, and somewhat the same from what I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, I. I've noticed a change in in other people's perception of what they think I'm doing, and that people I know I'll get calls from people that I haven't heard of in ten years, and oh my God, you must be on cloud nine, and everything in your life must be changed. And I, in actuality, I'm I very little has changed. <laughs> I I find that I still it still seems incumbent on me to generate. Uh, Projects. I need. I need to find things in order to uh, then team up with other people. Um, I, I can. See, it's nice to have a, a calling card so that when you go into a, a meeting with somebody you don't know, you can refer to something that you've at least heard about. As she said, a lot of times I used to go in and I'd say, "Well, we did this," and they go, "Uh-huh. I don't know what that is, but it sounds great." Now they go, "Oh, I heard about that." Um, so anyway, and, and the, I suppose it changes the nature of the conversation a little. But it's I certainly it's not as if the phone has been ringing off the hook. Um, I have gotten a few uh, calls from people that I'm sure would not have called if, if uh, I hadn't been right now and you know as visible as I ha- was in the past. Um, but it's not been tremendously different. Um, I had I've been forewarned by that by many people who had uh, made transitions from to both off Broadway and Broadway. And uh, they said, you know, you still got to keep doing what you're doing. It's not like 
uh, it's all of a sudden going to change. Now, mm-hmm. as I'm hearing, I'm hearing the table. It's it's great to hear that. For some of you, it changed a little bit, and that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I still think I find that most of it comes from people you've worked with before in some right. capacity anyway. Yeah. I mean, so, some of the biggest jobs I've done have been with directors that I worked with as an assistant choreographer and then asked me to choreograph. And, it, and, and you know, it doesn't surprise me when writers go back to the same director, you know, you see like August Wilson and Laurie Richards or you know, Neil Simon and Gene Sachs or those relationships that develop or directors and choreographers who tend to, to you know, Mike Ockford or Susan Stroman or people like that who, who stick together because when you find a team that works, yeah. you know, you just keep developing that. Absolutely. You know? As a director, I found it's very hard to find, for me, it was very hard to find a choreographer for Wonderful Town. I looked through at I looked through everybody. Actually, you weren't, nobody doing anything. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I was really, I, I was really looking. I couldn't find anybody. And then I thought of Tina Paul only because I thought of Tina's work on, on Nick and Nora and how much it impressed me. But it's, it's, sometimes people, you just don't, people just don't think of you. People, you just can't think of everybody. It's the same thing when you're trying to cast a play. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're walking down the street and you see somebody who you know and you think, Jesus, why didn't I think of them? You're stuck with something. It's just, it's a big business, and it's just really, I found it's really not different from acting. It's just being in the right place at the right time or having your name spoken at the right time. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be ready with the goods. You've got to have something, as, as Seth said, if, you know, having a project where you say, oh, I've done this. You say, oh, you did that? I heard about that. That's great. So it does give you some kind of a cachet. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, you know, all the, a lot of these projects that you've all worked on started out at nonprofit venues and then yeah. transferred, and that's how the real transition came about. But then you were put in a position where you're working on a commercial production. And, and in that case, there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more money. There's a lot a lot more people have something to say about what you're doing artistically. And I, I wonder if you could speak to, for a moment, what that did to you as an artist and how it changed what you what you did in the process. Hmm. Um, from just even if it's the same show, moved <laughs> to this other venue and, and become commercial. How did that well, it, it was interesting um, because my my first width of it actually was even when I was at New York Theatre Workshop in that I came in and the first swipe of a paintbrush for me, they said, great, that's it. <laughs> and so from my point of view, I'm used to going back in and and working and reworking in the way that I, I, I need to to get to the fullness of what it can be. Um, and I'm a pretty fast choreographer, but I'm not that fast. <laughs> so actually, my first swipe that became, you know, this is great, was very, it was very frustrating for me because then, you know, went, went into previews and during the tech week, I was out on the road with my company and I came back. And then we were in just in a whole other world because of, of Jonathan's passing. Um, so it, it was very strange for me the whole um, New York Theatre Workshop run of it was very strange in that I was looking at this swipe of a paintbrush and desperately trying to figure out how to fix it in previews um, where there was no time because so many things needed to be dealt with and we were all in shock so when it went to the Broadway show all of a sudden I noticed that um, the language around uh, around the piece began to change a little bit to, you know, the million dollar walk and things like that. And I was like, hmm, you know, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I sort of just 
kept trying to figure out in my head what what it was now about the paintbrush that I'd like to change, what color, what hue, how, how do I want to play with that texture a little bit, and how do I find time. And so it was finding another way of working because I was used to working with a way that if I said I need time, then I get you know X amount of hours to do whatever it is I need to do in a room by myself. And now there's 20 eyes watching. You know, it multiplied from the five that were downtown. So now we have 20 eyes watching of all sorts, half people I didn't even know. Um, everybody's concerned about, you know, it making it um, and meeting the deadline, which for us was trying to, to get under the umbrella of the Tonys for that year, which was a whole other concept for me, of making work to fit into a schedule of uh, a, um, an award ceremony. It was very interesting because it was not of my, my thinking. Um, and being very concerned about looking at the work from where the critic was sit was also a very, you know, fascinating concept to me because in, in the process of making work, I never think about what the critic is going to say one way or the other because I just assume um, that unless it's somebody who's really intelligent, they're not going to get it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I just make the work. So it was just very interesting for me, you know, the language that, that sort of came up and through. And so I discovered to work on the run, I worked on the run, I worked in corners, I worked in lobbies, I worked in dressing rooms, I grabbed actors that last minute on their break, and would you let me talk to you kind of thing, and somehow got the work done in that way, and then still, when it opened um, on Broadway, I, I was looking at it, feeling better about it in that they've had it for so long, so certain things just got better because they performed it so long by the time it had gotten to the Broadway run. But also that feeling, I couldn't help feeling like there could be more here, this could happen there, but there wasn't that room. There was so much going on and the transition happened so quickly. And and then the process too, I think, of in that transition and in, the, in that working relationship, building a working relationship of trust, you know, that takes time when you're working with new people. And so for me, everyone was new. I mean, the only person I knew on that project actually was the actor, um, Byron Utley. And other than that, I knew no one. So it was a process of building trust, learning how to work on the run, um, and changing what you're, how you're used to working in terms of just the environment that you're used to working in and embracing that. Before Swain on the Star came to Broadway, we played in three different regional theaters. Um, and it was a big success in each regional theater. Each, re each theater had a subscription base. And then... I'm oh, sorry. Um, each theater had a subscription base, which you know, guaranteed a certain audience, but then we always sort of sold out beyond that, and, and, and it became a sort of big hit, and we kept refining the show and changing the show, and, and when uh, our producers told us that we were coming to New York, we sort of, the director and I sat down and said, okay, what do we really have to do to change to bring it into New York, and we made a lot of changes from the last production, which was at Goodspeed Opera House, before bringing it to New York. But the sort of big shock to me is I never really, really comprehended how at the mercy you are of your producers. Mm -hmm. And our producers, you know, bless their hearts, they took us to Broadway when I don't think anybody else would have. And, you know, therefore we all got a Broadway credit. I mean, it was the Broadway debut for a lot of us, for me as a choreographer, for the director, for about half of our cast, uh, for some of our designers. It was a Broadway debut, so it was very, that was very exciting, and that, you know, alone was, was worth doing. But um, what was kind of frustrating is that, you know, when you're un under the umbrella of a uh, of a regional theater that has a subscription series and has, uh, you know, sort of all their marketing and their promotion and everything in place, um, you're sort of, you're so taken care of. 
and uh, it, I didn't really, you know, it didn't really hit me until we sort of opened and we sort of got, you know, very nice little reviews and the show sort of was what it was, which was a very sort of, you know, nice, well-rounded evening of these talented people getting up there and performing their hearts out for you and you sort of go here to the producers, here's our little show and, you know, basically, you know, they, they sort of, they sort of, for whatever reason, were, whether it was financial or just uh, didn't have the know-how as to the marketing that is involved. I mean, I, I was really nervous because we only had seven people in the cast and they really had a you know rough evening of, of performing. And I thought, oh, I hope they're not dragged off to this promotion and that promotion and asked to sing here and sing there and run ragged by mm -hmm. these producers and not able to do their show at night. And the opposite happened, mm -hmm. which was that they weren't. there was no promotional things happening. You know, we, we were, They tried to get us a, a slot on the... Macy's Parade, but then Disney bumped us because Disney called NBC and said, we want to be on. And they're like, yeah. okay, Disney called. So we were gone. And, you know, things like that that yeah. sort of kept happening. And it was sort of, uh, you know, it was kind of such a surprise to me which is that you could have a show that is sort of liked by audiences and well-received by critics and that because of the, you know, either lack of, of money or knowledge or expertise as to how to market a show, that, you know, your work ends up, you know, there's so many people say, oh, I thought that was nice, I didn't get a chance to see it. And I'm like, well, it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't run as long as we had hoped, you know. Or why did, why did we open the, in the fall? Why didn't we open in the spring, you know, to sort of take advantage of, of you know, uh, of the awards yeah. and, and the excitement that that generates? Because, of course, you know, it was nominated for Tony, but then he already closed. And it felt, we felt like we were the crashing senior prom at the Tony Awards. <laughs> like we sort of, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> I had a conversation mm. with Michael about, you know, bringing it to New York and what yeah. you had to do to make it work. Were there, did you have to make compromises? Did you change your artistic vision? Well, it, it, was more, it was more sort of like, that's not good enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, we sort of slid by with that before, but, you know, we gotta, we got to really look at that. You know, it's, uh, one thing was there, there was this whole section. Uh, Swinging on a Star was based on the work of Johnny Burke, who's a lyricist. And one of the things Johnny Burke is famous for is writing all the lyrics for most of the songs in all those Road to movies with, you know, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. And the Road to section was different than every time we did it. We sort of never really quite found it. And when we knew we were coming to New York, we said, we have to figure this out. This, it has to work this time. And so we really sort of uh, totally reconceived it uh, for New York because because you have that mm. hanging over your head of like this is going to be seen in New York, it's going to be seen by New York critics, we have to, you know, give it our best shot. You know. Was that was that something that you and the, the director was that your decision or was that an outside decision? No, that was that was our decision. The producers didn't have any. Did they come to you and make particular um, changes? They they asked for some, but again, you know, it's so funny because I remember uh, the producers at one point because our show had basically seven people in it, most of, two of whom were sort of dancer-dancers, everybody else was kind of a singer who moves well. And uh, there was one number, and I remember the, the um, uh, producers came to me at one point and said, there's this one number, I wish, that, you know, they just seem to be moving their arms a lot, can't they do more? Like like what you did with that Call Me Madam number at in, in, in City Center, and I just, you know, I just <laughs> about fell because at City Center I had six oh of God. the absolute top A-list dancers in New York City doing this number. <laughs> you know, I mean, the best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was Marianne Lamb and Joanne Hunter and Darren Lee and Angel Verbine. And then they're asking me, why can't you do that with these people? And, and then you have to talk to them like, a, like they're in kindergarten mm -hmm. and say, well, if you want that kind of dancing, you have to hire those kind of dancers. And it's so amazing to me that, that that's not sort of <coughs> obvious. 
But that, but the producers again, it's what you're saying about not really understanding the process mm-hmm. of what you do. You know, mm-hmm. that was sort of a shock. Um, well, coconuts, of course, everything that starts with American Jew Theater is like, let's put on a show in a, in a basement. Everything <laughs> <laughs> that comes out of it is better than it starts with. But, um, you know, we, we really work a lot, Stanley Breckner and I. No one, you know, no one is involved except he and I. And Stanley is very um, uh, protective of that, um, to the exclusion of a lot of other people getting their nose out of joint. Um, luckily for us, Ed Kaufman was very much on our side from the beginning. And uh, we reworked that show within an inch of its life. I mean, I, I really rewrote a great deal of it. And uh, during the, the six weeks of previews, changed this and changed this and moved it and moved it and moved everything around. And the only thing that was always a problem was the beginning of the show. Whereas Stanley also would say to me, it needs a lot of dancing in the beginning. It needs a lot of dancing. And I was like, well, who do you suggest dance? <laughs> I mean, nobody is a dancer, really, except one person. And that, you know, mm-hmm. at that time was questionable. And so then he said, oh, okay. And then, you know, we'll see the opening and three days later, he'll say the same thing. And I said, what the opening needs, what it needs is a comedy tonight. I said, it needs, needs something that's going to tell you what the evening is about. I said, and they won't give me anything. The Berlin people would not move on songs. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen the show, it's, it's a long way to get to the end of it because it, uh, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of structuring problems in the first act. But finally, we overcame to by the time we opened. So then we, we opened and then, and then, you know, it got a lot of attention and we had a lot of producers and Stanley was terrified because he had a very bad experience with the Rothschilds. So we chose a producer who really doesn't know anything about the theater. So it was a lot of <laughs> And a lot of saying, well, I want that hat changed. And I want, and it's like driving you crazy. You have to talk like you're talking to a five-year-old to also realize that this person is spending $750,000. And you have to, you cannot ignore them. Attention has to be paid. And it's trying to find that balance. And everybody was a nervous wreck. And they had encouraged me to, to uh, elaborate on certain, on certain numbers, on certain dance numbers. And I said, you know, I'm really worried about that. The only thing I really want to concentrate on changing is the opening. And what I really want to do is to take everything away and just have it be the Groucho character saying... Here we are in Florida, and I'm Groucho Marx, and this is this evening is going to be ridiculous, so here you are. Instead of this big number, which makes you think like it's known on the net. So all the changes we put in, by the third preview, were all out. We were doing exactly the same show as we did downtown, except it was like the Chia Plant production. It just had gotten bigger. <laughs> and, um, and I finally got them to agree to change the opening number to this, this Groucho thing, which really worked well. So it went for three or four performances, then we had like two performances where the audience didn't really laugh at it. Then they're hysterical, and we have to change it back, and we have to, and we'd have a hybrid of everything under the sun. But finally I just said, look, we're opening with this Groucho thing, and that's it. And sometimes I find you have to do that. Of course, you have to take the heat if you screw up. Uh, it didn't. But if you go to see the show now, it's the old opening that we did downtown. About a week after the show opened, the producer said, I want, to, I want to go back to the old opening. The cast thought we were crazy. But I changed that so many times. But it's really what I found is everybody gets very, very, very nervous. Mm-hmm. And they start to start, they start to stop trusting mm-hmm. yeah, right? yeah. what they had and you and the people in it. And everybody gets very, very nervous. And, you know, I've seen too many shows transfer where they try to make it bigger and better and greater. And I thought, this works 
don't fuck around with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, don't fool around with it. <laughs> so that was my that was my biggest was my biggest problem, and I and I found that a show I'm working on right now, the same thing. It was like, well, can't you do this and can't you do that with who? With mm-hmm. what? Where is this going to come from? So it's just a constantly. It's why I keep saying it never really changes. Mm-hmm. You have to be happy working in a basement in East uh, Jabib. Yeah. And if you're happy there, you'll be happy working on a Broadway because no matter what it is, it's just more money and people get more nervous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I could, I, I feel as if I could write a dissertation on this particular question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, my uh, experience in the commercial world is somewhat uh, naive in that I'm, I'm somewhat new to it. I've only done a couple of, worked on a couple of commercial commercial ventures. Um, so I'll keep this really brief, but the, the two or, or three things that I've noticed that are significantly different from any experience I've had in either regional or the nonprofit world outside of uh, New York City, or even the nonprofit world within New York City, is uh, as follows. <coughs> One is the number of chefs goes way up. Uh, walking into mm-hmm. a first rehearsal of any show I've ever been involved with, even at a regional theater that has a fairly large staff, you know, there might be, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 people there, and that would include the designers, uh, outside of the actors I'm talking about. That might include the designers and the artistic director, maybe an associate artistic director, and in some cases there'll be a literary manager who's in the room, and, um, you know, that's kind of about it. Uh, <laughs> the first... The couple of projects I've done elsewhere, you walk in the room in first rehearsal, and there's up to, uh, in one case, there were 45 people there, a room that felt like this. And nobody knew who the hell anybody else was. Um, I would ask even the, some of the producers, do you know who that is? No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, um, Every decision that was made became something that was, where in previous uh, experiences might have been something that happened within the uh, the womb of the artistic team, where everybody sort of found a way to communicate really well together, is now being cleared by many people, and uh, it, it changes the dynamic significantly. Another significant difference is um, the, as you've heard, Richard just re- referred to the the. The stakes, which, uh, in terms of money, the amount of money people have on the line, uh, and uh, as she said, in, in regional theater, a lot of times that's done already. They've already marketed their season, and it's not dependent on, you know, the success of the show is not going to make or break them. Um, but in this case, it, it seems to be quite different, and as a result, the amount of fear just shoom, goes way up. And that affects everything. It affects people's demeanor. It affects their sense of, of confidence. It affects their, you know, it, it just affects everything. So I, I found that to be a hugely uh, profound difference. Um, and the other thing is the ro- the role that I was uh, have been accustomed of, of where I fit into the, the the artistic process as a director shifted in in, in both times I've been involved with commercial ventures significantly. I was, the things I was used to, oh, well, yeah, this is sort of, I, I know how to do this. I, I'm comfortable doing this. All of a sudden I realized in this dynamic, ooh, I'm not supposed to do that. Somebody else is. And so what is it that I am supposed to do? And I've had to sort of kind of 
find my way there uh, in terms of what, what am I responsible for in this uh, setup? And uh, <laughs> oh, you had to. <laughs> um, um, sure, I'll give an example uh, um, without mentioning uh, the show or the or or names. Uh, the uh, a design choice. Let's say something as as simple as uh, you know a desk that's going to be on the set or a, a piece of any kind of piece of furniture. Theoretically, in my past experience, you know, that may come, an idea may come from anywhere. It could come from an actor or me or a designer. And we throw it out on the table, hey, what do you think of that? Great, sounds great. And as long as everybody's happy about it, let's go. Um, and it was also clear in the past that as director, I would, I would somehow serve as final arbiter of a decision like that. I, I could say, yeah, it really fits into the overall vision. Let, let's, let's, let's go for that. Um, in this case, I could say, yeah, it fits in the overall vision, and anybody from anywhere could step in and say, you know, I don't like that. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, six or seven people can step in and say, what are you going to do about that thing? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, okay, uh, I guess, yeah, well, let's find something that we all like. And pretty soon, it's a, it's a complicated, <coughs> you're involved in a complicated a matrix and a network of people trying to arrive at a decision that that in another environment for me and for a whole team would have been peaceful and quick and mm -hmm. no problem, all of a sudden can take months and uh, feel like, in some cases, I mean, not in the case of a piece of furniture, but in some other cases, it feels like you're ripping your heart out and you're, not, you're no longer, uh, it's no longer the kind of, you know, dynamic that you're used to and comfortable with and feel where you're expressing yourself best. Perhaps it's time to open this up to the floor. Um, any questions? Uh, and everybody here is on their own career path and they're making their own transitions. So you probably even have experiences of your own that would, that would bear in the We have artistic directors of regional theaters. We have people who have done their first like Broadway things, people who are um, you know, getting reviewed by the New York Times for the first time. I know I, I know a lot of you are sort of at a lot of different levels and there's no career path that's the same for anybody. But um, it would be interesting, for, I think, for everybody to hear not only the questions, but also your own experiences and where you are and where you're trying to get to and what kind of roadblocks you've had, because then maybe the panel can help you um, with their experiences of maybe how to get beyond that. So we can put that on the first. Did you mind? Well, I had a question with Kathleen um, <coughs> about making a jump to artistic director from choreographer. I think it's really quite great. Is that what you wanted to do at one point? Was that something, or did somebody just say, "Well, you know, I need this"? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really sort of, um, it really kind of fell into my lap in a weird way. I mean, from having last summer, they had um, when they knew Walter Bobby was going to step down, they sort of had a search committee, and they, I guess, they sort of decided they want wanted somebody who had worked there, somebody sort of within the family who sort of knew how things worked. And I got a call on like a Thursday night saying. Um, do you want to be considered for this? Do you want us to, you know, put your your name in the hat? And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and because um, I had sort of, after Spain on Star, I was sort of geared in this way towards trying to choreograph a sort of big budget Broadway musical. It was kind of the direction I was going. And I was sort of, you know, interviewing with some directors and 
interviewing with some projects that are actually happening this spring, and I was sort of, you know, trying to make things happen in that direction. And um, I remember actually talking to my brother, and he said, um, you know, if this is something that you think you that you have an interest in, in at any point in your life, you have to take advantage of this opportunity. Even if it's something that is, you know, was totally out of left field, if this is something you think you want to do someday, even if it's surprising that it's today, then you should take advantage of this. And I said, this is something I am... I, what would want to try, and so he, you know, he said if, that he said, that, well, then if they offer it to you, they have to take it. You have to take it. So I got a call on Sunday night from Judith Dakin, the executive director of City Center, and um, Monday morning I called her back and said, absolutely. Um, but it wasn't something that I actively pursued in that way. And actually, it's it's taken me out of the running now for doing some of these projects that are happening because um, I really can't take on at least. In, in the spring, you know, in winter and spring, which is when Encores is really sort of heavy-duty happening, I really can't take on another big commercial project in that time. And so I've had to sort of call these people up, whether they were going to offer me the job or anyway, and say, I have to take myself out of the running for this. So, you know, it's sort of odd, but, um, but you know, I, I feel even if I just do it for a year or two, I, then I'll, have, I'll, I'll know what it's like on the other side. How do you actively pursue things at your level? Uh, is it done through nature? Uh, I mean, I know that's one way, but I mean, are there other ways that you go about? You say setting up meetings and so forth. Is that all done through your agent? Is there another way to go about it? No. <laughs> you, uh, sometimes my agent does, yeah, gets me <laughs> some stuff, and, and a lot of times my agent will bring me plays or musicals or things, but. Uh, a lot of times I will basically call people up and say, look, I have this idea for something. If you're interested in it, let's talk. People call you out of the, you know, out of the blue. Or uh, they've seen something or, you know. What, what you do get a lot of, though, is really, careful I say this, you get a lot of work that's not ready to be done. Uh, a lot of it. And, uh, like, I keep my name in the phone book and people say, why do you do that? Why don't you? I said, because how's anybody going to find you if they want to? You know, so many times I've called people up out of the phone book and said, hi, I have this project. Rainbow and Stars called me and told me they, I did a show there about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and they said, we have a, an open slot. Do you have anything for it? So I had this idea cooking in the back of my mind, so I called the, 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 the uh, personality that was I thought would be interested in it, and, and later I'm going to have to take a meeting with her and talk about it, and then, you know. But it's basically it's generating, it's generating your own work. Or, you know, for instance, if... if, if uh, you know, if somebody calls me and says, uh, I'm, I'm looking for a choreographer, then I'll say, oh, you know, there are these zero four names of people that I know that are good, or vice versa. And oddly enough, you know how, well, at least I found I've gotten a lot of work from actors. A lot of times people have called me and said, an actor that you worked, that worked for you recommended you and said you would be terrific on this project. A lot. Mm-hmm. I, or a lot of times, actors, particularly when I worked at Pittsburgh Civil Light Opera, mm-hmm. it was... Uh, 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 Charlie Gray said it was a lot of the actors that he'd spoken to that had really solidified my getting a job there. So it's like you never know where it's going to come from. Bob Strixian, I don't know who Bob Strixian is, uh, but he was like an apprentice assistant to the the, uh, man who cleaned the toilets at Arts Park (laughs) when I did Chorus Line there. I mean, when I did, I beg your pardon, I take that back. I did David C. at Syracuse Stage Company as an actor. Five years later, he's running running Art Park and just calls me up and says, do you want to play Zach this summer in Chorus Line? So I'm still acting. I was like, oh, okay. Who knew? 
Yeah. You know, so you never know where. Mm -hmm. And you really have to... Uh, I'm so thinking it's different because a director is a lot of times generating projects that they want to do, you know, mm -hmm. having an idea, like you said, and calling up and, and making it happen. And with your dance company, that's sort of the same thing, too. As a choreographer of a, of a musical, basically you're hired by a director or, uh, or, or, or a pr and producer. You know, either the director comes on board with something they want or the director you know, is looking for a choreographer and the producer recommends somebody and you meet with them and, and that kind of thing. So in that way, that's a little more waiting by the phone um, because in, in that way, the <coughs> directors are always on board first um, with, the, with the show and, and then the rest of the staff comes into play. So I find it's a little different for me in that, mm -hmm. you know, i do not necessarily making things happen myself as much as, as directors do. Who Because who I, I think directors obviously get more material sent directly to them, new plays and new musicals and people who want to, them to do their work. I found that uh, it, for me at this level there, there really hasn't been much of a change. It's really been, you know, it's through in the case of, since I'm doing mostly, you know, normal old plays, um, it's through contact with writers. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, uh, just by, by going out and seeing everything that, that the people are doing and, and uh, going if you you know if you can afford to in, in a way and I don't mean fi well financially as well I suppose but just even time wise to get out to regional theater and, and see stuff and you know a lot of times you hook up with a project that hasn't come into town let's say and then you can you know talk and see where the what the status of the project is um, you can just keeping in touch with with all the you know their writing labs throughout the city and just you know knowing, you know, letting people in those labs know that you exist and, and you know, that they can flip material your way. The agents, um, I find are, you know, in, in my experience, my, in terms of my relationship with my agent, where he comes in handy is, is in doing, you know, contractual stuff. But in terms of generating projects, it, it seems to fall to, to me. And, and it seems to be that way with most of my friends as well, who, who are also directors, that they still are generating I think that process of really getting out and, and meeting people is, is very important. And then the process of when you're doing something to really just let people know. I mean, for a long time I got beat over the head by people who said, you know, Jesus, you were doing something and I heard about it from so-and-so down the street and you didn't even send me anything because I was horrible at just mailing. So if you can get into the habit of, of mailing and letting people know when you are doing things. And then for me, I think also the relationship with writers was, was real important. Um, and it came from, again, in my own work, wanting to work with writers. And then now I'm working a lot with visual artists and I've always worked with composers. And so I'm constantly getting asked to do other projects that they're involved in as a result, again. So that that's very important, I think, to sort of, you know, work with many as many different people as you can and then also make yourself visible and do those things and go to those social functions and go to see performances of other people and you have a chance at those times to meet people. And I think picking up the phone sometimes and calling and just being bold and taking a chance is a real important thing if you decide that no is the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's I found too, it's doing it and then also knowing when to stop. Mm -hmm. And say, okay, I've done enough and just, you know, uh, putting up to the universe that if it's right, it's going to happen. You know, my agent is always so specific. You have to get this in writing, and they have to do this, and if they don't do that, it's like, if 
they want me, they're going to want me. If they don't want me, you can have write 75,000 things in the contract. They're not going to hire you. Yeah. They can pay you the, the minimum and get rid of you. So it's really a matter of just, uh, of, you know, of being able to, to, uh, to have people see your work and to, to be amenable when you work with people. Yeah. What if getting a pet project done or indeed getting any job that you particularly want finding the money to do a production is contingent upon having a star or an actor already in place. Are you willing to make that sacrifice even if you feel that that particular person may not be ideal for it? Yeah, you, you, I think you, you're the only person that can answer You have to weigh it and figure, what do I have to gain, what do I have to lose, and how. And sometimes you're surprised. I mean, I just directed John Davidson in the show where he was, I, I certainly won't say he was forced down my throat, but he wouldn't have been my first choice. And I thought, you know what, I want to see if the project has any life to it. He certainly is not, I've heard anything I've heard about him, I heard he was a great guy. So I said, okay, I went, and it was a surprise of a lifetime. This man actually could act. And not only could act, but was more committed than I, I with people who are supposedly terrific actors. You, you, it's just a question of, of weighing it. Mm -hmm. uh, is it more important to get the job done and, and hopefully you know and sometimes you might have to, I, I find sometimes you might have to say no that uh, you know I understand that Walter was sorry he didn't tell me this mm -hmm. but I've heard that Walter had been offered Wonderful Town at City Opera and he felt that although Ty Daly was a good choice for uh, Ruth that he wouldn't be a good director for her and he turned it down I don't know if that's true or not but that's what I heard mm -hmm. and I heard that and I thought good for you I, you know I hope that I'm able to do that so, you know, on the other hand, you, it depends on, you know, I guess it all depends on you. Boy, that was a really convoluted answer. You had the actor, you know, with the songs. Really wasn't cast before you. Yeah. I just agree with what Richard just said. It's a very personal call. And I've made, in the course of my, you know, Career, short career so far. I, I've I've uh, made calls on both sides of that coin, and I've lost projects because of it. Um, but look, we had to make a choice like that where it's been in sync. That's been a wonderful experience. That I can say. The other, in other cases, sometimes I've made a choice, and, I've, and like I said, I never regret about it because I knew about the choice. But there's been times I've made choices like, well, and uh, you know. Uh, there might be a better way to do this, and there are other times when I've made choices like that, and like Richard said, it's been a pleasant, pleasant surprise. So it's different every time. Mm -hmm. I, it's such a personal decision. I just wanted to add something. I just thought of this. I, I as a kid, I, I worked at, at an elevator up at the Alvin Theater during a show called Dinner at Eight, and there's an actress in it named Blanche Yurica, who some of you may or may not know. She, she went. I went. I went. She'd say it to me, but I was present when I heard her say it. That good theater is good compromise. I just came to mind. <laughs> Other questions? Yeah. I, I used to work as an assistant press agent at Chuck Richards, and I helped him with it. He was supposed to be a long time as a class in winter and fall. But uh, I saw an opening for the book. This was really sensational. And uh, the guy who played uh, Groucho, he uh, doesn't use ad libbing constantly. The opening downtown or up here? My opening night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was. Oh, no. um, that was something else that actually I was going to bring up before. There was a lot of 
on the part of the Marx Brothers, there was a lot of hubris with them when we moved uptown that I found I had to really try to keep in check because all of a sudden they were really starting to believe the publicity. And it was a very fine, this again also in, in your question, it's a very fine line. Where do I stop it? Where do I step in and say, you know, we're getting over the top here and you really are getting full of yourselves to when, it, when I was doing damage, when I would stop the creative process. Because I'm, I'm of the school where you hire good people, director, I mean, designers, choreographers, whatever, and you let them do your job, their, their job, and you interfere as little as possible. Uh, you know, and, you know, you, you have to put your foot down at some point. And I would say that. I would say, you know, it starts off as a democracy and ends up as a dictatorship. But I was walking a very fine line there. And yeah, I did think they were ad-libbing a lot. But I thought it was still all right. It wasn't killing the play. I would have wished for less. But it wasn't it wasn't damaging the piece, although I do think it was a lot stronger without a lot of that. And now, if you see it now, there's a lot less of it. It's 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 always making a call, and sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong. Well, I put I, I mean I there are times where I even in the pre preview process I went back and I said all right that's it on that subject <laughs> we don't do this. One time Michael went forgot the guy playing he called the guy playing Bob, Alec, which is his real name. And he couldn't remember, for some reason, his mind looked like he couldn't remember that the character's name was Bob. So he went in the audience and got a program and looked in the program and then read Alec's credits. And of course, the audience went nuts. And I was hysterical. Well, he tried to do it the next night, and I said, no. Mm. But if it happens by accident, it's one thing, but you're not going to be putting this in the show. You know, we'll be like Grant Gingerlou, we'll have to have a dinner break. <laughs> You know, you just have to decide how you want to fight and, and really understand the environment that you're in. You know, I think it's important to fight for whatever it is that you believe, you know, and what you're willing to stand, stand up through. But you have to figure out how to fight, you know. And sometimes how to fight is not standing up and, and yelling the loudest in the room or um, standing and appearing to be the most stubborn. I mean, the way I fought was being very quiet and working in the dressing room. And I made that choice and that decision, um, and I could have fought the other way around and demand, demand, demand that, no, you must give me these two hours that I need on the stage with everybody, you know, shutting up and out of this room. And I probably wouldn't have gotten it at all. And then what I would have done is if immediately if I had gotten it and I had made a change, then what would have happened if the change wasn't immediately successful because with choreography, choreography is very much like, uh, writing a script. You know, you write, you throw away that draft, you write another, you write, you write, you throw away, you throw away, you write. And a lot of people don't understand that. They want you to swipe and then that's done. So maybe I would have then fought like that, got those two hours on stage and the first swipe, the first moment that didn't work, then it would have been like, ah, oh, it's not going to work, you can't do this. So you have to figure out how you fight your battles and be very diplomatic in it um, uh, and creative. Know who you're working with and who's around you at all times. I remember one time when I was assisting, uh, my brother and I were working together on a production called Petrified Prince down in the public theater, which was a whole 
life to it because it had a workshop, and then after the workshop, their full production took a very sort of different turn, and we weren't all quite sure about it, but when Hal Prince is driving the bus, bus, he's driving the bus, and that's the way you go. And I remember there was one number, we sort of learned a lesson early on in the workshop, uh, there was a number that was sort of half on its feet and half not, and Hal wanted to see it. And we said, it's not finished. And he said, it's all right, I want to see what's up there. So we said, okay, they'll get to the point where they, where we've gone up to, and then they'll just sing through the rest of the number from there, okay? So you can get a sense of the shape of the song. So we did. We, the actors got up there halfway through, they sort of stopped the, you know, the musical, because it was more musical staging than choreography, which is another thing that people don't always sort of understand. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> halfway through, they sort of just finished singing the rest of the song. And when it was over, he said, so that's where they finish? We were like, oh my God. <laughs> and so, and um, so anyway, he didn't like the concept and we had to throw out the whole concept. And so we said, that's it. We will never show him anything until we think it is ready. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, the next day, because he's got the energy of, you know, 10 guys and he's got, you know, great, you know, energy, which also comes with that is great impatience. So he was sort of saying, I, you know, when he'd say, I want to see this number, we would have to put our, our feet down and our collective feet and say, no, we, how about, you know, tomorrow we would put him off until we knew that we were satisfied with it enough to show him. And the ironic thing is, is that one number was this, uh, went through many different uh, incarnations until by the time it opened at the public theater, what uh, was on the stage was the fully realized version of that first idea that we started with, mm -hmm. that he saw happen. And that's what opened the show eventually. So, you know, it's also knowing who mm -hmm. you're working with and who you're working for. Everybody has very delicate egos. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us, everybody. And you only can hope that if you treat people well and, and take them into consideration their egos, they will then again in turn take you into consideration when they're making decisions. Because, you know, everybody used to think the director was the boss. The director is not the boss. The producer is the boss. The person who signs the checks is the boss. And a lot of times that person does not know what the hell they're doing. I, I only think I add into the mix there is, I, I mean, I find that a profound question, and I ask myself that a lot in a lot of different environments, especially because I'm not a fighter. It's just not my way. And um, and yet I have feelings about what I'd love to see happen. So I find myself wrestling, well, how, how, what can I do to engender, uh, you know, direction towards what I'd love to see happen? So... Um, uh, I mean, I, the only thing, you know, I, I two things to say. One is that a friend of mine, or several friends of mine, have told me over the years to choose your battles carefully, and to to make sure that if you if you are really wrestling with somebody, however you go about that, make sure it's something that's really worth doing that over. And uh, the other thing that comes to mind is, this, uh, I'll tell you the hyper fast version of it. But there's a very famous story of a, one of the most famous set designers in the former Soviet Union who had, uh, I don't know if you know anything about the way they used to do plays there, but they had a whole kind of a, for lack of a better word, a political council that had to approve all choices that were made. And the story goes that this set designer put in the middle of a realistic play a dog, a statue of a dog in the middle of the set. And through, it went through all the rigmarole about, you know, this, look, this looks like it represents capitalism, it's got to go out, about things and various things in the set, and of course the dog has to go, and that was it, he goes, no, 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 anything, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll take down the wall, we'll take the thing, but not the dog, don't touch the dog. <laughs> and then we go through this whole series, and again and again, and finally got to the point where, all right, you, look, I'll let you make any change you want, but I'm not going to move the dog. And he said, they, they finally said, they 
felt like they were in a position to go, well, oh, all right, forget about those other changes, but that dog has to go. He says, okay. Mm. And they moved the dog, and everything else stayed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a story that I've actually heard in two different settings when I've uh, had interchange with Soviet artists. It, it, it's somehow representative of, of the way they learned to do stuff over there. And it, I've seen some of that here. You know, I've, I've, I've ex actually experienced work with designers where they've thrown things up on the wall and go, is that really? And they'll go, it's, it's a decoy. And I go, oh, they, and the direct producer comes in, oh, that's good. And, and the general goes, yeah, 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 you're right. It's hard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People do all sorts of things oh, to yeah. get what they want. It's kind of amazing. Other questions? Other personal experiences? Yeah. Yeah. Question. I'm an artistic director. Uh, Organic Touchstone just merged uh, two theaters in Chicago. And I've spent my whole career being an artistic director, building up my company. And now it's stable. And I want to start working other places mm -hmm. and other regional places. It seems to be very difficult. It seems like there are freelancers and there are artistic directors. And it's real hard to say, OK, but I'm, I only get to do two plays, and they have to fit within my theater season and it doesn't do all the projects I want to do. And also I haven't been able to go out when it's the first time I've gotten to go to New York uh, <laughs> because I've been so busy doing that. Suggestions, thoughts, other experiences, you're going to be doing yeah, it's, it's tricky because actually as uh, what, what, what we're doing it now at Encores is sort of putting together creative teams. And, and actually, you know, when we start to consider people you know, who, who uh, are based out of out of New York and are artistic directors, it's we sort of think, I wonder, gee, I wonder how that will work. Because, you know, he's based in Chicago, and, you know, the way Encores works, you know, he, there's meetings, there's a set meeting here, and then next week there's a couple of hours of casting, and then the week after that, maybe you get Your together with the adapter. Right, <laughs> right. But we can't afford to pay for those planes. And so, you know, that's, the, that's, a, that's one of the issues, is that, you know, um, is it is it can we approach this person because we can't afford to pay for their housing and pay for their planes back and forth? Um, you know, if they want to do this project, that would be out of their own expense, and we we're not you know a, such a big commercial production that we can afford to do that. So it's tricky because it's sort of you know even though there are people who might be very valuable and interesting, it's we're kind of limited budget-wise as to you know whether we can do that, which is a shame because obviously there are people doing great work all over the country who, who deserve a shot to have something done in New York and to have something seen in New York. And, uh, and we can't, you know, necessarily, I, I was working on a project last year called Time Again, which is directed by Jack O'Brien, who's the artistic director of um, the Old Globe Theater, which is where the project happened. But everybody else was based in New York and the production was based in New York. And it was sort of like, Jack's going to be in town for three days. And everybody was like, OK. And we would jump to and have as many meetings as we can and spend as much as we could, because off he was again. And it, was, it was difficult. It was a difficult pre-production time mm -hmm. because of that. Do you, are you, you want to start directing projects outside of their theater? Outside of Are you known a lot um, by regional theaters as an artistic director? Uh, we've just been building it up, so it's just started. Uh -huh. Just I know a few people, but not not a lot. Well, that that's to your advantage then, because then it really is just about you know, because it, 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 when you first started the question, you made it sound as if, if being the artistic director is what is keeping you from being able to do 
directing of outside projects because people think you're an artistic director, right. therefore you don't have the time, and how could you possibly commit that to this project? That's in Chicago, but maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe because it's just, you Yeah, absolutely. Because um, one of the things that I did um, when I was interested in doing some acting for a while, and I wanted to do some film work, and I didn't really have traditional acting credit. So what I did was the dance works where I know I use spoken text, I printed them as theater pieces. So <laughs> it was not a lie. <laughs> it was not true. It was just stretched a little bit. And, but as a result, I got seen and then got some acting jobs at that time that I, I had wanted to get. So I'm just saying that, you know, maybe you don't need to hang up that you're the artistic director if that is a hang-up or a concern people and note that your time periods when you're available and work it from the point of view that you're a director and what you've directed and talk more about that. You may need to just talk about it differently. Another specific <laughs> suggestion that I might have is uh, the people that are coming through your company and working, you know, in, in this business, as we all know, jobs are flipped. If I, you know, if somebody's offered a job, they're busy, and they recommend yeah, their absolutely. And all the people that work through your theater, they know your work because they've been around while, you know, they're overlapping a show while you're directing <coughs> one, they're working on something, they're seeing it. And um, those are great contacts mm -hmm. for you. If you put out to them, hey, I'm looking for work elsewhere, if you, you know, are busy, think of me. And, and of course, they'll make a choice as to whether to recommend you or not. But at least they'll know that you, you're, you know, that you want that. I and mean, that's a great <coughs> network, having because you have a whole bunch of artists that are really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Other questions? We got great, great uh, wealth of uh, <laughs> people here. I've never worked in Europe. I've lived here all my life, and now have a project. You know, look at every playbill that you have and see who the producers are. Names here. Well, they just wondering if there was some get the theater in it. Yeah, yes, I've got that too. It's all the producers' offices. Everyone is doing much. Yes. You can also drop off flyers at the offices of the League of American Theaters and Producers. And then for the nonprofit producers, you know, then there's Art New York, which is the organization of all the nonprofit theaters and CCG nationally. So you can get in touch with all the artistic directors of the theaters you're interested in now. And again, I mean, it's kind of a, a <coughs> same adaptation of the same thing I just said to her. Your artistic team for those various projects. <coughs> Uh, you said the two are being done at Rattlestick. Well, Rattlestick, there's a. I mean, I know those guys, and they're pretty well connected. Yeah, they are. And and so, you know, by hitting up a producer from a bunch of different sides, soon one of those flyers will come in for somebody that they go, gee, I have to go because so, I know so them. Just use all the members of the team. Absolutely, right. absolutely. It's personal. People give to people, and people come to shows because of their relationship with friends. I get, you know, like all of us, I get, you know. 30 flyers in the mail a week. Mm. I can't go to 30 shows a week. But I go through and I, oh yeah, this is so-and-so. He's my friend. i got to go support him. He comes and supports me, so I'm there. And it's that way with these guys, too. So, you know, use that network. Really and also give yourself great. enough time. I mean, I get things at the director's project all the time for that are, like, next week. Well, next week's booked already. Maybe that's booked. 
three to four weeks you want. The people, the weeks fill up really fast. If you really want them to get in there, be sure you give them enough time so that they've got time to get it in their calendar. Yeah. I'm a director, and uh, I guess uh, uh, for, for the artistic directors who are here, I guess a question I would have is just, uh, you know, for as a director that you may not know, you know, what other ways are there for me to contact you and convince you to hire me, mm -hmm. other than the, yes, we'll be doing something, you know, let me know. I think what, what Seth said is very true, which is that, um, you, you never know what's going to happen as far as um, people dropping out at the last minute and people, you know, and, and needing a replacement and that kind of thing. I think that's how a lot of people sort of first <coughs> come to people in that way. And so, you know, with Encores, there's three shows, three directors, that's it. I mean, and that's it till 1998. You know what I mean? So it's, it's very limited. And there are a lot of people who are interested in working there. And even if it doesn't work out for 97, it could work out beyond that. Or we could be a month away, because Encores is a sort of short-term gig, we could be a month away from it, and all of a sudden the director gets somebody else's hand-me-down, which happens to be a big budget show, and has to leave us, and so then we're left and we're looking for somebody. So there's, there's, I don't think that you ever um, not want to hear from people. I don't think it's, you ever sort of go, oh gosh, another resume in the mail. I think you're always happy to, to know that people, and it's also very flattering to know that people want to come work at your theater. So I think that um, it, it never hurts to, to do the phone calls and, and do the resumes. And I think that, that even if it, you know, and even if somebody respects your talent, they think, well, I can't match them up with the particular show this season but because I think somebody else might, their sensibility might be more right for it. But that doesn't mean that, that it won't happen in the future. And so I, I, I don't know about you, but I've never, you know, I always am flattered every time I open it and an envelope and there's something in there. It's been real interesting for me because it's the first time our theater's been, been so big enough that I've really been doing a lot of director interviews and it's helped me go on the other and think, oh, okay, this is what I've got to do on the other end. Uh, but what started to strike me is you can tell if someone's, someone's got to really talk about the project and, and find a play in the season even if you know there's no way that you're going to get it because the director, the artistic director needs someone else because that'll do something for something else. Uh, so that the project, the, the play in the season is, you really, really, really understand it. And you bring something unusual to it. Not something goofy, but something who you are. And then it really makes a difference. Because it's, it's, it's also great when somebody is hungry for a project. And, you know, sometimes you think, well, do we go to sort of, you know, the kind of, I don't know, whatever, you know, A-list top Broadway commercial directors. But you think, yeah, well, but do you want them to, to sandwich in this project between their bigger projects that will take more of their energy and attention? And so you think, well, maybe it'd be good to get somebody who, who is a little more hungry and is going to really sort of roll up their sleeves and get to work, even though we can't pay them in proportion to the amount of work they'll put out. But that, but they want to... Um, you know, get their work out there and get it seen. So that's, uh, you know, I think that that's always, you know, a positive thing. I, don't, I think, you know, most people 
want that energy. They want somebody to walk. I mean, just like in auditions, you want somebody to walk into the room and say, this is my part. <laughs> I should play this part. And everybody on the table goes, oh, God, thank God, there it is. <laughs> you know? You're waiting for that at auditions. Mm-hmm. And I think you're waiting for that with directors, too, with somebody to say, I know how to do this, this project, you know? I'm finding very often, I mean, I know I'm very young, especially <coughs> to try to be a director, but I don't want to go out there trying to get jobs as a director. I, I'm just looking for internships or AD positions or even second AD positions. And I know a very recent job interview, I had three interviews over the phone for to be a second AD on something. And the minute they're like, okay, we really want to come in and meet you now, the minute I walked in the door, before I could even take my jacket off, they said, Sorry, you're too young. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to get past that and not have them not see, like the the <laughs> age. I mean, the thing is, it's not it's not just. A, but the thing is, then they're going to say, well, you don't have the experience. But the thing is, how can I get the experience if no one's going to mm-hmm. even give me an internship or an AD position? I mean, I'm not looking to direct now because I know I'm too young and inexperienced to do it. But I just don't know how to get past that that barrier. Um, uh I can name a couple of ideas I have to do. One is uh, just, it's like a numbers game. I mean, by putting out a lot of places, you know, that way you don't put a lot of stake in it. And then <coughs> request just more the merrier. And, and I mean, I know of lots of companies that uh, are seeking interns so that I, some things, so as I hear your story, I go, hmm, that's really odd because usually it's hard to find interns because interns right. serve a company. A company has all these things it needs to get done. And they're looking for somebody to do it. Um, so, you know, in fact, I can flip you one address. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, in addition to that, there are some uh, various places where they have, if you just want experience, there's various places where they have uh, directing workshops through schools, but at the schools that are professionally connected. Um, the Bear Group also has a program like that. So does, uh, I know, Musical Theater Works it has some kind of a thing like that, or it used to at least. Um, the uh, um, the new uh, Mike Nichols, the, the, the new actors workshop it has a you know where you're, wor- you're working, you're doing your thing, but the people who are running the school are also working professionals, and uh, it's a chance to kind of learn and also have your stuff seen. So that's another environment you can certainly explore. Um, also check out you know the foundation. Well, also, the one thing I might advise is be careful what level you're looking at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of letters in my office about, gee, I'd love to work with Al Prince. Well, you know, a lot of people in the world would. I'm not saying that's what you're going for. But believe me, there are good places to work in this city that could would be thrilled to have. I mean, you know, I'm not saying the Al Prince office, da, 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 but if you look around, and they will be good credits that will help you move to the next level and the next level. So be sure you're targeting the right areas. Don't waste your time going after jobs that you're not going to get, because there are places that would be glad to get. Mm-hmm. You should also send your resume and letters to directors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I when I couldn't do anything, anything else, when I couldn't do uh, Gypsy anymore, Arthur just went through a bunch of letters of people he'd gotten and interviewed five people and picked one. With, with no particular uh, ability for that particular job. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I wanted to say to something a little bit, something to you when you said I'm, I'm too young and I don't want to direct now because I'm too young anyways, and that is to don't hold that over your head either. 
so that if you, even if it may be a small, maybe it's a small project, maybe it's a college project, maybe it's, you know, take any opportunity you can take and know that you'll learn from it. And again, <laughs> the, the key point is to know what you're shooting for at the same time, be clear about what level you're shooting for. But, you know, never put that limitation over your head. Oh, it's, it's not necessarily, I'm not saying that I don't direct, because I direct every chance, AD every right. chance I can get, a direct community, but it comes down to, oh, we've got all this money and we don't want to invest it in something where uh, who they deem as a kid is going to sure. have their hands on. And so it's just a lot of, it's like I find that it's a lot of lack of Yeah, care. well, yeah, absolutely. But also know that there are kids, like I think of Maddie Rich, to me, was a kid, and uh, he got his film produced and now he had a big budget that was probably, you know, he pro they probably just threw him in the pot just a little bit too fast for me. But nonetheless, know that that's also a possibility. Don't think of it as an impossibility for yourself. It's a good note to uh, wind up. I want to take more questions, but unfortunately we're out of time. Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.